The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, to everyone who's gathered here this morning, I want to welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ. Just a few reminders. Next Sunday is the due date. Next Sunday is the day that we need to have all the back-to-school supplies that we're going to help out in the United for Christ. Several churches of Christ in the area are coming together to work with the Green Pastures Church of Christ and Spencer to gather school supplies for children as they go back to school. So the donations are due next Sunday, August 20th. Right? That's next Sunday. Breakfast bars, we need Rice Krispie treats, we need Vienna sausages, we need pudding cups, Capri Suns. Yes, those are school supplies. At least those are school supplies we're supposed to supply, right? We want to encourage everybody to participate in this. This matches, I think, who we are. We're a congregation that cares for children. We're a congregation uh, that wants unity among other churches. Amen. And we're a congregation that has a sense of mission and worship is important to us as well. So next Sunday, when you bring all the supplies, please come back in the evening. Actually, we're going to meet at the Green Pastors Church of Christ at 5 p.m. They want to invite us to bring all of those supplies to their church, and then we're going to stay, and we're going to have a time of worship together. Caring for children, time of unity, sense of mission, and a time of worship. In two weeks, Brett and I will begin a new sermon series that we're going to go throughout the fall, and this sermon series is called, You Are What You Love. We're going to look at what it means to, first of all, be a human being, is that even though we have reason and we think, right, first of all, I think what God says what you are is a lover, and you are what you love. And so what we're going to do over the course of the fall is we're going to look at different Christian practices, and how Christian practices shape what we love or who we love, and maybe also look at other practices in our lives that may shape what we love and who we love as well and may deform our loves. So in two weeks, I'm going to begin, we're going to end our Word of the Lord series and begin a new sermon series, You Are What You Love. And last but not least... As I've watched the news this week, I've been disturbed. And many of you are thinking, Ben, it took you just this week till you were disturbed? <laughs> well, I mean, there's other weeks too. But I've been disturbed this week. And I think, I don't think I'd be living up to my call as a proclaimer, as a preacher of the gospel, if I didn't say something. The threat of a new nuclear age. It's a disturbing thing. 
where millions of people vaporize like that. And when God calls us to his tables, he calls us in peace. May we be people of peace. And I've also been disturbed about watching things on TV about what's happening in Charlottesville, Virginia. Violence, bigotry, racism. And when God calls his people to these tables, he says all are welcome. Regardless of skin color or background, where you come from or what you look like. He calls us to not be people of hate, but people of love and reconciliation. I wouldn't be a proclaimer of the gospel if I didn't say to you, may the peace of God be with you. May you be peacemakers. May you be people who love your neighbor, even if they look very different than you, and you may you be a person that goes and reconciles. For God is a God of peace. And He is a God who loves and reconciles. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you people hearing words about don't look at the flash and some of us in this room remember hiding under desks the practice of hiding under desks and the thought of the kind of violence that's being threatened it's almost unimaginable. May your peace come and reign in this world. May we be your hands and feet of peace. And the bigotry and hatred and racism, may we be the first ones to confess We have our own hatreds, our own biases, our own bigotry. And we also confess that has no place in your kingdom. That has no place when you rule. May we be your hands and feet of love, of neighbor, and reconciliation. Father, today give us ears to hear, hearts to follow. God, I pray for the gift of preaching. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our text today is, our lectionary text is 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, verse 9 through 18. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Sephet, from the Abel, Mohelah, to succeed, the, to succeed as the prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazel, and Elijah will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Our text today is marked with Elijah's fear and anxiety in his despair. Elijah fears for his life. He's anxious over his relationships and his future. And he despairs over his own failures. This text is marked by fear, anxiety, and despair. But Elijah's story doesn't begin there. If you go back to chapter 18, at the beginning of the story, there's a great drought that threatened the land. And God provided food to Elijah through a raven, and he drank from a brook. And then if you remember the story, when the brook uh, dried up, God sent Elijah to a widow to provide water and bread. But the widow and her son won their very last meal, waiting to die. And so as Elijah's response to the woman is, don't be afraid. And he spoke words of hope. And God provided bread for the widow and the boy through the whole drought. And then after some time, the son of the widow fell sick. And on his deathbed, Elijah picks him up and begins to pray for life. And God heals the boy and brings him from death to life. Then Elijah sets out to confront Ahab and the idols of Baal. He says, bring 
bring 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asher who sit at Jezebel's table. And he said, here's the challenge. He challenges the whole system of idolatry. It's, a, it's Yahweh versus Baal. It's Elijah versus 450 prophets. And he says, you sacrifice a bull and I'll sacrifice a bull. And then you call in the name of your God and I'll call in the name of my God. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So the prophets of Baal took their bull and called upon Baal from morning to noon. No answer. They danced. No answer. They shouted. No answer. They resorted to cutting themselves. No answer. They made sacrifices, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So then Elijah called all the people together and built an altar with 12 stones, one for each tribe descended from Jacob, to whom the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall now be Israel. And he cut the bull into pieces and put it on the altar. And then he drenched the, the altar. He drenched the bull and the wood and the altar with water. So much that water began pooling up underneath the altar. Then he called on the Lord. And sure enough, God sent down fire. It not only burned up the sacrifice, but it burned up the wood. It burned up the altar. It burned up the soil, and it vaporized all the water that it pooled up underneath. And all the people were amazed and said, this is God. And then at the beginning of chapter 19, it says this from verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel, Everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life that one of them. So Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. Elijah flees to Mount Horeb, which is also known, by the way, as Mount Sinai. The place where God revealed himself to Moses. And Elijah hid in a cave. Which maybe reminds you of the cleft of the rock. And when he's in the cave, God asks him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah despairs. I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty, and the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And so the Lord said, go stand. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass you by. Another Moses moment. 
And then a mighty wind came so strong that it literally shook the mountain and tore off rocks from the mountain. A powerful, mighty wind. But God was not in the wind. Then there was a massive earthquake. If the wind wasn't strong enough to start knocking off boulders off the side of the mountain, surely now the earthquake did. But God wasn't in the earthquake. Then there was fire. Fire came down. A torrent of fire came through. But God wasn't in the fire. And then it says, our translation says, there was a silent, small whisper. In fact, how it really reads is there was sheer silence. Not a whisper, not a breath, not a noise, just silence. And you think the winds would be enough to run outside the cave and look. Like most Oklahomans in the springtime, you know how someone's from Oklahoma, if they hear tornado, they run out and go, where? <laughs> My wife hears tornado and she crawls in the cellar. She's not from Oklahoma. Or more recently, like the earthquakes that shake stuff off my walls. You want to turn on the news and you want to start looking. You want to get out there. What's going on? That doesn't get Elijah out of the cave. Or fire coming down from heaven. Surely that would get our attention. It doesn't get him out of the cave. It's not until it's all over and there is sheer silence. It says he takes his cloak from his face and he walks out. Because God was in the silence. And while God revealed himself in fire from Mount Carmel, he does not reveal himself in fire or in glory on Mount Sinai. Nor does he reveal himself by the power of a mighty wind or by the force of an earthquake. Instead, he reveals himself in silence. The sound of sheer silence. God cuts through all the noise with sheer silence. And it's this sheer silence that draws Elijah from the cave. And God asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Again, Elijah laments, I have been zealous for the Lord, your prophets, 
uh, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. And I think he's justified in his lament. And he says it twice. God asked the question twice, and he laments the same thing twice. And I think he's justified, because if you go back and read from verse 4 through 6, while he was in the wilderness, he came to the broom brush and sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. I have had enough. Take my life. Am I no better than my ancestors? And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. It's ironic, though, that Elijah's afraid. It's ironic that he's anxious and that he despises his life. For if you go back to the beginning of the story, remember God provides food for him during the drought through a raven. And if you continue reading, it says, all at once, after he fell asleep, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and the jar of water, and he ate and drank. Come on up here and preach. what she wants to do. He ate and he drank. And then he lied down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. When the drought was too much and he sent the ravens with bread and with water, it's ironic that now he wants his life to be taken. For now, angel comes and says, eat. The journey's too tough for you. And he sat under the broom tree and he prayed he would die. He says, Lord, I have had enough. And yet when the despairing widow gathers and prepares her last meal before her and her son die from famine, Elijah is the one. He's the one that speaks hope into her life. And God saves their life. And Elijah prays to God, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Yet when the son of the widow fell sick and died, Elijah prayed for the child. And the child was healed. Then his lament to God, he complains he's alone. Yet on Mount Carmel, it was Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal. And he wasn't alone. God was with him. And he defeated the evil powers of Baal. And Elijah was afraid for his life and anxious about his future. And he despairs about his failures. All the while, God has provided and saved and healed and conquered. So the question to Elijah is, Elijah, what are you doing here?
Elijah's lament, God doesn't respond with sympathy. When Elijah laments these things twice, he actually responds with a mandate. Usually when those who lament like the widow did, God responds, don't be afraid. But not this time. He gives no sympathy. He just turns around and he gives a mandate. He says, go back to where you came. Go back the way you came. Go back to the struggle. Go back to the risk. Go back to the work I have called you to do. As I thought about this text all week, and I thought about you, I thought about us, I thought this church can identify with the story of Elijah. And if we're honest about our struggles, which we should be, we should be honest about our struggles. This church has been fearful for its life. This church has faced anxiety about its future. This church has despaired over its failures. But the spring story does not start there. And the question to us today is, what are you doing here, church? And God's word to us today is, go back the way you came. Go back to depending on me for provision during times of drought. Go back to speaking words of hope and good news to people. Go back to giving food for the hungry and provide for those who need it most. Go back to the work of prayer. Pray for the sick and be the kind of people through whom everyone will see the healing and the life-giving work of God. Go back and confront the idols of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness with vulnerability and faith. Go back and challenge the idols of selfishness and self-indulgence and pride with discipline and humility. Go back and challenge the idols of giving even, getting even with grace and, and forgiveness. Go back and confront the idols of greed with open hands and open hearts. And church, go back and stand up to idols. Idols of hatred and bigotry and racism with love and justice. Go back and stand up to anxieties over the future with trust and obedience. Go back and teach children. Make disciples and pray and prepare for our next leaders. The call is to go back, to be transformed in the image of Christ and fill our community with his presence so that many will find their way back to God. Today we stand with Elijah before God in the sheer silence and he calls us to the
the work he has for us. So the question to us here, the question today, what are you doing here? Let's stand and sing.